So 2 Samuel 11, uh, verses 1 to 15. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rubber, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When, jo when Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why don't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He didn't go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And our other reading says, oh, 2 Corinthians, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Great, thanks, Naomi. Um, good morning, everybody. If you are new or you're visiting us this morning, it's great to have you here. Um, so we're going to be looking at the Billy Goats Gruff this morning. Um, <laughs> This is probably a story which many of you will remember when you were young. You might have had it read to you. Uh, we all know the story of the goats who were on one side of the field and they were munching happily away, but then they looked across the bridge and they saw the other field. And actually that other field looked so more appealing, so more appetising. So we know the famous story that one by one the three goats trotted over the bridge uh, and eventually the big goat went across the bridge and the troll was knocked into the river, never to be seen again. But I wonder for how many of us here this morning, when you were three, four, five years old and you first heard that story for the first time, how many of us actually spent any time thinking about those goats two, three, four, five months on, when they'd been hanging out in their new field, munching happily at the grass, enjoying everything around them, that, did they then look back to the other field and think, hang on, that field looks pretty good now because no one's been munching on that grass and that grass has grown and it's green and it looks fantastic. And I wonder if at any point the goats thought, ah, oh, maybe we need to go back over that bridge again and find ourselves back in the field that we originally came from. 
And I think that story and that thought is so reflective of the culture that we can find ourselves in today. And as Naomi said, so reflective of the next myth that we're going to look at in our series of Mythbusters that we're looking at over the summer. That idea of, if only I had dot, 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 then I would be really happy. If only I had a bigger house, then I'd be happy, then my life would be great. If only I had a different job, then everything would be fantastic. If only I had more money, if only I had a partner, if only I had a child, if only I had another child, if only I had a holiday, if only I had the right clothes. So many things that for each of us, we can put in the dot, dot, dot. If only I had, then I would be happy. When I was looking at um, a few statistics, I came across that uh, the most heavily one of the most heavily trafficked websites in the UK for the last number of years has been Rightmove. And actually, uh, probably a lot of that is not because people are actually always that interested in moving house, but because there's always that sense of, if only I had something different. Uh, myself and John and then some of our really good friends both moved uh, around the same time last year. And I was chatting to one of my friends at the time, and even now, we both said we still haven't taken the Right Move app off our phone. You know, we moved six months ago. I have no intention of doing that again. It was up there with one of the most stressful experiences of my life. But for some reason, I can't delete that app from my phone because there's always that sense of, oh, I'm just going to check the other houses, check if something else is going to come up, which might be that little bit better. And we kind of see that creeping into church culture as well, don't we? That if only we had better worship, then I would have met with the Holy Spirit. If only we'd had the drums, that would have got it going this morning. It was great, Emma, John, by the way. <laughs> if only we had a different preacher, then I would connect with them and I would have got something out of church. If only we had chocolate biscuits, well, then that would have made after the service fantastic, wouldn't it? And we would all have been happy. That sense of in every part of our culture, if only I had. And actually, some of those things, most of those things, aren't bad things, are they? Those, if only I had a house, a job, a partner, all of those things probably are things which, if we had, would bring us happiness, would bring us that sense of, oh, yeah, life seems a little bit better. Bo Derek was quoted as saying, I think whoever said that money can't buy happiness simply hadn't found out where to go shopping. And actually, there's, uh, you know, although that's quite a, a fun quote, there's some truth in that, isn't there? That when good things happen, it does make us that little bit happier, even if it's just for that split second. But I guess that's the problem with the if only I had culture that we find ourselves living in, is that if only I had's actually never come to an end. Because if only I had a bigger house, suddenly you move, and suddenly a few years down the line, that house you feel like you've outgrown. If only I had a partner, 10 years into marriage turns into, oh, if only I had my best friend's husband because he washes up after every meal. John does wash up. That's no reflection on him. If only I had. But then still that sense of discontentment, which we saw last week in the film that um, Tim showed for those of us that were here, of the Olympic gold medalists who were saying in the interview that Tim showed, we don't know where to go now. If only I had that gold medal, as I'm sure so many athletes right now in Rio are saying. But yet last week, so many people sharing, I've got the gold medal, but now where do I go? That sense of discontentment. And I guess there's also that thing that the if only I had, if they are left unfulfilled, can then leave us with things that we feel sad about as well, if we focus on them for so long. 
So just to turn to uh, the chapter that Naomi read to us from 2 Samuel. Uh, and the story of David. Now, for many of us, there are lots of stories uh, from the Old Testament of David's life that we're probably quite familiar with, this probably being one of them. David and Goliath maybe been another one. But the chapters that lead up to this point that Naomi read are really fantastic times in David's life. David is given some incredible promises uh, through different prophets via God of the incredible things that David will actually achieve in his life and his family lineage. You know, he makes some amazing promises before God and only in a few chapters before Naomi read to us, we hear David praying an incredible prayer which includes the words, O oh, sovereign Lord, you are my God. Your words are trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. David in a fantastic place with God, pouring his heart out, saying, I trust you. Then we go on to reading the following chapters of victories that David had on a battlefield. And we read of David actually being out on the battlefield, fighting alongside his men, uh, leading his, his armies into victory. And yet here we enter a slightly different time in David's life. In verse 1, it says of chapter 11, in spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And that tiny little sentence at the end of verse 1 shows us that something is going on here, which is a little bit different from the David that we've seen in previous chapters. But David remained in Jerusalem. The springtime was a time when the kings would uh, go out to war very often because it was a good time practically to take your armies out to war. The rainy season had finished, the crops were just about to be harvested, so as the armies were out, they had food on their route to nourish them. It was a time that kings led their armies out onto the battlefield, just as we had seen David doing in the chapters just before this. But here it says, David remained in Jerusalem. We don't know why, and there are many commentaries which discuss and talk about why, but just from reading the Bible, we don't know why it was that David remained in Jerusalem. But he did something different to what would have been expected of him. But David was in a time of great prosperity in his life. His armies were winning, he knew he was going to be king, everything was great in his life. And maybe that in itself is a warning that sometimes in times of prosperity, which I know for myself, can be the times where maybe God gets slightly pushed out because everything's great and we don't need to rely on him as much. As opposed to the David as a small boy who stood before the massive giant Goliath and cried out and said, God, I can only defeat this giant when you are by my side. Because the truth was... David could, as a small boy, only defeat the giant with God by his side. Again, it goes on to talk about the moment that David first saw Bathsheba. Now, again, if you read lots and lots of different commentaries, they'll tell you different things. Some will say that David going out walking where he walked in the palace was a purposeful action for him to actually go and see a naked woman bathing, that he knew what he was doing. He knew as he took that journey that he was going to see something which actually he shouldn't. But again, if we actually just look at the words that are given in the Bible, we don't know that. It says that he went out for a walk and he came across Bathsheba bathing. So if we give David the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, maybe he didn't know what he was going to come across. Maybe he didn't know that he was going to see Bathsheba bathing. Actually, he could have had a very different response to the response which we then went on to read. A very similar thing happened back in the book of Genesis to Joseph. Joseph was living in a house with Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife basically came to him and said, I'm yours, come on, let's go. 
But David, but Joseph, rather than react in the same way that David did, says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? That in the moment of facing adultery, Joseph's response was to say, no, I cannot do this, but I will not sin against God. And even the, the fact that he says, he doesn't say to Potiphar's wife, no, I'm not going to do this because I'm living in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's my master. His response is, I will not sin against God. That his focus was so fixed on God that he could not do this thing that was being asked of him. But instead, David gives in to those, if only I had. If only I had that naked woman. She's so beautiful. If only I could just have her, even for that split second. And that as David took his eyes off God, actually he then led himself into a spiral that took him further and further away from God. A spiral of actions which saw David, the great king, lying. Saw David, the great king, actually sending a man out to the battlefield to his death to cover up an action which he had done, which he knew was wrong. Because that if only I had that woman in David's life, probably did lead to that moment of fantastic, brilliant, whatever, five minutes, ten minutes, brilliant times. But actually, it then led to so many more issues and pain and regret, which we then see in the following chapters on from this. Because even though there is that temporary sense of happiness for each of us in this only I had, there is also so much more that can lead to painful situations. And like I mentioned, we also focus so much on if only I had that in my life, when it doesn't happen, we can end up with jealousy to other people, which breaks friendships. We can end up with a sense of regret, a sense of despair, a sense of pain, which it's very easy to keep carrying around in our lives and not to lay down. I remember when I was a teenager at secondary school, I got quite badly bullied uh, for most of my teenage secondary school years. And uh, there was one year at school, which I'm sure many of you probably will remember, uh, either as a teenager yourself or if you've got the United Colours of Benetton, that the cool thing that everybody had in that year was a Benetton bag. If you know the shop, the United Colours of Benetton, there were these really rubbish duffel plastic bags. But literally, if you were cool and you were popular, you had one of these bags. Now, my parents refused to get me one, so I saved up my pocket money. And that summer holidays, I went to the shop and the only Benetton bag they had left in the shop was this pastel pink Benetton bag. Now I resembled Annie quite a lot when I was growing up. I had really ginger hair with tight knots so pink was not a colour I embraced in my life. Um, So I really didn't like pink. I didn't have much pink in my house but because it was a Benetton bag and I thought it was going to be the one thing that would make me cool, make me popular, I went and brought that bag. And that first day of school in September I went along feeling excited because if only I had that bag then I'd be popular. I turned up And everybody had moved on, and they had the next bag, and nobody had a Benetton bag. And my parents wouldn't get me another bag, so I literally then had this hideous pink bag that I hated for my whole school years. Because although that's only a really kind of little example of an if only I had, actually that can be an example of so many different things which each of us probably even now can think of in times in our own lives. Tim Queller said, idols... So those things where we say, if only I had this in my life, then it would be happy. Idols cannot simply be removed. They must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back. But they can be supplanted. By what? By God himself, of course. But by God, we do not mean a general belief in his existence. Most people have that. Yet their souls are riddled with idols. What we need is a living encounter with God.
What a fantastic quote, which can so easily sum up that culture that we do find ourselves living in. Because as we focus so much on the, if only I had this in my life, we can so easily, as David did, take our focus and our eyes off God. And those things that we yearn for and that we desire so desperately in our lives because we think they will bring us that happiness forever become the things that can let us down. They become the thing that creates so much need, so much desire, so much time, so much mind space that gets and our time with them that actually that becomes more important than our time with God and our time knowing God and our time walking alongside God. Now Joseph kept his eyes and his mind on that moment with Potiphar's wife, on God. And so he walked away. Yet David focused his mind and his eyes on Bathsheba and so spiralled further and further away from God. Tim Keller was also quoted as saying, you don't realise that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. And as I was reading that quote, I was thinking about the really painful times in my life where we as a family or me individually have walked through really, really sad times that have been hard and horrible and we've struggled with. But even in those moments, the most painful moments in our lives, I'm not sure that I could hand on heart say, Jesus was all that I had. Because actually I had friends and family supporting me. I had a lovely house that I could go home to at night and a bed I could lie in. I had a church family who walked alongside really painful times with me. So Jesus was there and was so present. But have I ever really been at a point in my life when Jesus is all that I have? I don't know that I have. Because actually in the Western culture so often, we have so much. But maybe as we look at the persecuted church, we see so many people who actually can probably hand on heart say, Jesus is all that I have. Some of you might remember a really lovely family from North Korea who um, spent some time as part of our church congregation a number of months ago. And one of the guys who was in that family, he was born in a concentration camp because his father and his mother were arrested and eventually killed in a concentration camp for their faith. He grew up literally knowing not much apart from Jesus in his life. And sometimes I feel jealous for that, jealous for that sense of relationship that I saw in that beautiful family that they knew that Jesus was all they needed because actually Jesus was all that they had had for such a long time. Uh, This again was summed up really beautifully in uh, an interview that was uh, Terry Waite gave uh, after he was freed from captivity. Now, for many of you uh, probably know who Terry Waite is. He's a guy from uh, the UK who was captured many, many years ago in Lebanon. He was betrayed by a member of a party that he'd gone out to do aid work in Lebanon with. Um, and he was held in captivity for many years. For five years of his captivity, he was held in solitary confinement. So it was him in a room on his own. And when he was freed, an interviewer, said to him, basically, how is it that you can still say that you have faith in God? And very beautifully, this was the response that Terry Way gave. I could say this in the face of my captors. You have the power to break my body, and you have tried. You have the power to bend my mind, and you have tried. But my soul is not yours to possess. There was that essential belief that the soul, my soul lay in the hands of God and couldn't be taken by others. Now we can argue till the cows come home, as people have done across the generations, about what the soul is. For me, it is the sum total of me, my identity, my essential being, 
which lay in the very hands of God and couldn't be taken by others. And that very, very simple belief was enough to help me retain hope. I'm sure for Terry Waite in those moments when he was on his own in a cell, not knowing what his future held, not even knowing if he did necessarily have a future, he must have had a really big list of if only I had. If only I had just one more day with my family. If only I had gone out with a different aid company or a different organ to see the sunshine again. I had met some different people and not this one guy who betrayed me. If only I had the chance to see the sunshine again. He doesn't say that he didn't have those questions, but what he does say is that these things neither broke nor consumed him because he knew that his life had a greater purpose. His life had a far greater meaning than that which he could see in that moment in that cell. And when he talks about the things that distort your mind, the power to bend my mind, actually, that's really reflective of stuff that we see in our if-only-we-hads. If only I had more money, because my friends got more money and they get to go on much better holidays. If only I had more friends to hang out with, because I just feel really on my own and all these other people seem to be having loads of fun. If only I had a partner, then my life would suddenly feel so much better. The things that can distort our minds and make us feel really in a place that we don't want to be. And then the really, really painful if only I had that we walk through. Whereas again, Terry Waite talks about we can feel completely broken. That if only I had my health back again. If only I still had that person in my life that was taken from me. If only I had the husband, the wife that I've been praying for for years. If only I had that child that I so desperately want in my marriage. If only I had that relationship that had broken down. Things that actually break us and painful things to walk along the path of. But the amazing, wonderful thing is that as Terry Waite was able to say, we have a greater purpose in our lives than those things which we can see around us. The verse that Naomi read out to us earlier from 2 Corinthians, such a beautiful verse which says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For David, he focused on that seen thing, and that became the thing that all consumed him to take his eyes off the unseen, and actually led to a path of pain, even in the midst of temporary happiness. Because the unseen, the things that are not temporary, the things that are eternal, is the reason that each one of us is here on this earth today. Because the unseen of our Heavenly Father, who loves each one of us so much and says, do you know what? I know that it's painful when you don't have those things in your life. My son was taken from me. I get pain. And do you know what? I get that it would be great if you had more money and you had a bigger house and you had a better holiday. But there are much better things going on if you focus your eyes on me. I was chatting to a friend recently who currently is walking through a really painful path in his life, where there is something in his life that he and his wife have been praying for and they have not seen God answer those prayers. And he said to me, I feel like a failure in my life in so many ways because I'm not following the pattern that the world is telling me that I should. But then he went on to say to me, which impacted me so massively, but I've realised, Sarah, that I'm not a failure 
Because although I'm not following the path that I think the world should tell me to follow, actually I stand here today knowing that I'm a son of God and that that is the reason that I was born. That yes, I might not have these things and I might not have seen the answers to prayer that I'm praying. And I don't get why those things aren't being answered. But actually I know that I'm a child of God. And I know that my purpose on this earth is not about the answering if only I had. It's simply about saying, I am God's child, and I am completely and easy and utterly loved. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to get. It's not an easy thing to grasp. But maybe, just maybe, if we fix our eyes back on God and away from those things that so easily distract us, actually we will find that sense of happiness, contentment, peace, that lasts way beyond that temporary happiness that the answering, those if only I hads, gives to us. Just as we close, I wanted to look at David's response to his adultery with Bathsheba, which for me is such a beautiful, powerful part of the Bible. Because Nathan the prophet comes to David in chapter 12 and confronts him as to what he's done and says to him, and you know how sad you've made God, you know how far away from God you have walked, and yet God's grace is here for you. His forgiveness will be here for you. And David in Psalm 51 basically comes before God and says, I know I messed up, but I know that my life has greater purpose. And even though my eyes went over here, actually God helped me to put them back over here in the times I don't understand, in the times that it's hard, in the times when I'm jealous, in the times when I feel regretful, I feel like a failure, take my eyes off here and help me to put them back here. Because when they're here, I know that I can walk in a life of freedom and joy that I will never have if my eyes are kept over here. And I just wanted to read um, from Psalm 51, verses 10 through to 12. And I'm going to read them through twice, and then we're going to go into a time of sung worship. And just as I'm reading them, If there are things in your own life that you know are your dot, dot, dots in the if only I had, which can take your eyes off the unseen, amazing God who loves you so much, take you off the reason that you are here on this earth to be his child, to end up in eternity with him, that we are born for so much more than what we see, we're born for an eternity with an incredible God, then you might just want to spend a few moments bringing those things before God and saying, I don't always get it, but I'm going to bring them before you this morning saying, please help me to fix my eyes back onto you. Or it might be that if there aren't things in your own life, you know of others who currently are walking that path or really yearning for something which is taking their eyes from knowing the true freedom they can have as a child of God. So I'm just going to read these verses through. And David prayed, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore again to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me.